0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you and welcome to the show We start tonight's entertainment with A Visit with the Saint Played by Vincent Price This episode, with the intriguing title Cupid and the Corpse, was first aired in 1950.
0: The Adventures of the Saint, starring Vincent Price. The Saint, based on characters created by Leslie Charteris and known to millions from books, magazines, and motion pictures. The Robin Hood of modern crime now comes transcribed to radio, starring Hollywood's brilliant and talented actor Vincent Price as... The Saint. You know
2: something, Simon,
3: darling? Something, then. Among them the fact that you're a very disturbing person. Mm,
2: <laughs> perhaps
3: that's my answer, then. Answer to what, may I answer?
2: Why, you found me the moment I returned from Bermuda. I've been wondering why you're going to ply me with a football game, a dinner, and a play. Oh, why
3: not just relax and enjoy
2: it? I'd like to. <laughs> Particularly when I remember that last evening we spent together in Bermuda. Before you had to fly back to the States on some nasty murder business or other.
3: Yes, that was quite an evening, wasn't it? Quite you know you're very beautiful,
2: I've always enjoyed your thinking so, Simon.
3: Well, inasmuch as I have a tremendous distaste for murder interfering with moonlight, I now intend to take up where we left off. What a football game, oh well, it'll be a good game as a matter of fact, it' had better be the trouble I had digging up tickets for it. <laughs> well, here we are, Anne.
2: My, how things have changed since I was in Bermuda. Imagine they're now holding football games in cigar stores instead of stadiums.
3: This happens to be Tony Cartago's little establishment. There's an office inside where Tony conducts his main business, which consists of handling bets and scalping tickets.
2: Oh, you do know the loveliest people, Simon. Yeah,
3: for which you should offer thanks. We couldn't get any seats to today's game otherwise. And Tony has a couple for us. Oh!
4: Oh!
3: Well, didn't your mother ever tell you that it's not polite to go running into people that way? Oh,
2: I, I'm terribly sorry. I, I didn't see you. My apology. Mm,
3: not bad. Nice manners, too. I wonder why she came tearing out of Tony's that way. Oh,
2: if you're interested, Tony can probably tell you. I wonder where I've seen that girl before. Oh,
3: some harpy's huddle, I imagine. Oh. <laughs> Come on, let's go in. Uh. Ooh,
2: some place. I bet you couldn't buy cigars in here for love or money.
3: Well, I'm not sucker enough to lay odds against that. Uh, the real business is conducted right in here. <laughs> Are you Tony. I want you to oh, meet... Simon! <sighs> you better stand back in. My old grandmother would often say, yikes. Yes,
2: I see. He's been shot, hasn't he? I'm
3: afraid so. He's still alive, though. Hey, hey, Tony. Tony, who did it? Can you hear me, Tony? Who can you? No, I didn't. Duke, he knows it's me, Tony, Templar. Who shot you? I don't know.
4: Barnes effect. Brenda, had. Had.
3: Oh.
2: Simon, is he He
3: is. Well, there's nothing to do but call the police.
2: Why, Simon, the saint calling in the police on a case? What's happened to you?
3: It's very simple, Anne. I'm much more interested in the beautiful woman. Oh,
2: thank you. You're welcome. Well, why don't you call them? A visitor?
3: Two visitors, darling. A man and a gun. That phone's getting kind of heavy, ain't it, Mr. The phone? Oh, yes, yes. Come to think of it, it is kind of heavy at that. I'll take care of it. for you. That's better. You know, you're the second person we've met today who should read Emily Post. Don't you know it isn't polite to point at people, particularly with a gun? Shut up. And it's also impolite to tell people. Shut up.
2: Uh, You see what he means, darling. He wants you to shut up.
3: Oh, is that it? Yeah. I wondered what he was driving at. That's very fun. I'm so glad you liked it. Though I have a better routine It goes like, Give me that gun! Oh, oh, you know what oh, he was making oh, oh.
4: Simon! Get up, Simon! Get up! You killed
3: him! Ah, I was just sleeping. Maybe that gun over his head will learn him a thing or two. But you... Sh- and if you're smart, you won't kick up any fuss. They just as the soon kiss you, too. Kiss me? Yeah, with the butt of my gun. Relax, baby.
4: Simon, wake up,
2: Simon, wake oh, up! Oh, oh come shit. on, Simon, wake up!
3: Well, let's leave a later call. Simon! Alright, Anne. Hey. What goes on here? We're tied up. Yes. Pete thought
2: we'd be more tractable that way.
3: You know something? He's right.
2: Where are we? How'd we get here? Uh, Pete. He's the guy who conked you. Mm. And a buddy of his named Louie brought us here. It's a warehouse of some kind. We're in one of the storage bins on the first
3: floor. Uh, nice. Have we stored away for the winter? No.
2: No, with a little luck, we'll be out of here in five minutes.
3: Mistaken identity, Ann. I'm not Superman. And these ropes are
2: Pretty tight and strong. Darling, yours may be, but mine are. I've had them loose enough to throw off for 15 minutes. I was just waiting for you to wake up.
3: Well, now, don't tell me you're a superwoman. No.
2: No, I owe it all to dear, sweet Louie. When I looked at him piteously out of my big blue eyes, he just couldn't tie me up too tightly. I worked myself free while you were sleeping soundly in the corner.
3: Never again will I underestimate the persuasive powers of women. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see what you can do about getting me loose. Right. There's a little knife in my vest pocket that might help.
2: Uh, this pocket? Right?
3: Oh, be careful. I'm ticklish. Oh, I've got it.
2: You know, Simon, I just remembered who that girl was we saw running out of Tony's place.
3: Yeah? Who is she?
2: Betty Streeter. She... Ah, there, that fixes up your hands
3: Thanks, now, let's have the knife I'll get my legs loose myself yes. Betty Streeter, huh? Mm-hmm. The luscious lollipop whose picture's been in the newspapers lately Over an engagement or something Yes,
2: that's right She's engaged to Jack Landis, an old boyfriend of mine
3: Oh,
2: oh, lucky girl Jack is so
3: handsome and fascinating. That's very interesting There, now the legs are loose Now let's see if I can stand up
2: there. How do you feel?
3: Oh, outside of that bomb burst in my head and the fact that my legs are apparently cut off at the knee. I... Simon,
4: someone's coming.
3: get those ropes over you and lie down on the floor quick. Okay, okay Simon. When he comes in, make with those baby blues and attract his attention for a minute. I'll be behind the door. And then what? Well, I won't be dealing a hand of canasta. Quiet now.
4: Well, hello,
2: Petey. How do you feel? Fine,
5: baby, fine. Just come back to...
3: By the boyfriend? Where's he? Here I am. Pete, Pete with a peachy key. Aha! <laughs>
2: uh-huh. Now that's what I call more like it.
3: Come on, on your feet. Yeah, better pick up Pete's pop gun.
2: Uh, now let's get out of here. Ah, that's the first sensible thing you've said today. Let's. <clears throat> What's that noise,
3: Simon? No, but it sounds like my head feels. There's no time to delve into strange noises now, my sweet. Come on, let's go quietly. You know, I wonder if Louie, the other mug, is hanging around.
2: No, no. After Pete searched you and didn't find anything, I heard him say he was going to report to the boss.
3: I guess he's still reporting, then. The place seems deserted. Oh, look, there's the front door. Let's head for it.
4: Well, oh,
2: it's certainly nice to be out of there. Yeah.
3: Hey, what was the name of that girl again? Ed?
2: Girl? Oh, Betty Streeter, why?
3: Look at the sign on this building.
2: Sign? Simon! It says Streeter's Warehouse.
3: Yeah, that's what it says, doesn't it? Come on, Anne. let's find out what this is all about.
2: Uh, Simon, darling, I thought you were going to call the police.
3: Anne, darling, that was before Petey hit me over the head with his gun barrel.
2: Oh, I was afraid of that. Okay, what's our first stop?
3: First, we find ourselves a nice telephone directory.
2: May I ask why?
3: To find out what street the streeters live on. (laughs)
4: Yes, well,
2: Anne. Hello, Jack. Remember me?
5: Remember you? Oh, and sweetheart, if you don't think so, get a load of this. Mm-hmm. Jack, that's a rather
2: warm <laughs> greeting after all these years. <laughs> oh, oh yes. Uh, Simon, I-, I want you to meet an old friend of mine, Jack Landers. Jack, this is Simon Templer.
3: Glad to see you, Templer. Mm, but not as glad as you are to see Anne. Uh, well, not quite. Yeah. Come on in. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, what are you folks doing here, anyhow?
2: We came to see Betty Streeter. Uh, this is where she lives,
3: isn't it? Betty? Yes, remember the girl you're engaged to? <laughs> sure. Follow along. She's in the living room with her father. Uh, say, by the way, Landers, uh, have you got a handkerchief? Handkerchief? Yeah, of course. Why? Well, I have heard that misplaced lipstick is a better detonator for atomic blasts than plutonium, and before the two gals... Oh, well, a guy. Maybe you're right, Templer. <laughs> well, Betty... <laughs> Smoke, what was that? Well, either Betty's involved in the premature explosion or they were shots. Come on, let's see. The living room, templates, to the left. I'm with you. Stay back, Ann. Betty! Betty, what? Oh,
4: Jack, someone shot at us through the window.
2: Dad's hurt. He
3: Look was... after Mr. Steeter, Jack. I'll take care of the guy at the window. you
2: will be careful, Simon. He may
3: still be out. Here. Now she tells. Let me get a crack at him, template. Did you get him, Jack? I think I got him in the leg. He stumbled after the first shot, but he got away in that car. Well, now that quiet is descended once again, it might be pertinent to inquire as to the state of Mr. Streeter's health. Oh, it, it's nothing serious, just a slight flesh wound. Slight wound, is it? It was like my whole dad blasted arm has been torn off. you any idea who was so interested in perforating the Streeter's skin, Mr. Streeter? Yeah, I'll say I have. It was
5: one of... Dad,
2: that... Dad, there's no need to talk like that now.
5: Bastard Betty, there's no reason for me to hide things. That crook's been trying to chisel in on my warehouse business for over a year. He's taken one of them over already.
3: You couldn't possibly be talking about uh, Duke Raymond, could you? That's right, Templer. He's threatened Mr. Streeter before. Looks as though he sent one of his gunmen
0: around to enforce that threat.
2: Oh, you've got to give in to him, Dad. The next time you won't be so lucky. You ought to realize now that he won't stop at anything.
0: Give in? Nonsense. I hate
3: to sound mercenary, Mr. Streeter, but uh, how much would it be worth to you to get your skirts cleared of Duke Raymond? How much
5: would it be worth? Mm-hmm.
3: Who are you? My name's Simon Templer, if that means anything to you.
4: the saint?
3: I'll confess it. Has that startled you, Miss Streeter?
2: Oh, why, 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 no, not at all. I, I just didn't expect of it.
3: Of course, after all, only sinners need be frightened by saints. Well, so, Mr. Streeter, what do you say? Mm-hmm. All right, I'll make you an offer. $10,000 if you get Duke Raymond out of the way. Nothing if you don't... You've just made yourself a deal. Simon,
2: you taking money for a case... Well,
3: Juries award damages for broken hearts, Anne. And you have no idea how badly I feel about letting Cupid down. <laughs> Well, Miss Morley, this is our famous riverfront. How do you like it? I do Now, there's the spot we're heading for. Do you see it?
2: Well, I see some speedboats moored at a dock, if that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Any particular reason for coming here? Mm,
3: the usual reason. We're going for a little boat ride. Uh, how much for the ride, buddy? Uh, twelve miles south, twelve miles back for a buck. That's fair enough. Come on, Ann, let's get in. You know, the more I think about this,
2: Simon, the crazier I think you are. Why would anyone want to travel 12 miles out into the ocean?
3: To see Duke Raymond, of course.
2: Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's playing Father Neptune on top of a wave, I presume.
3: Not exactly. You'll see when we get out there. And I'll expect a great big apology for those words when we get back. You mean if you get back, don't you, Chester? Son! Yeah that man's here again. Tell me, Petey, my friend, what are you doing here? Are you coming along for a ride? That's right, pal. Okay. You know, after paying a buck for 12 miles out and 12 miles back, I think I've got a right to be particular about the kind of company I have.
1: Well, don't let it bother
3: you, pal. This gun in my hand makes us equals. Besides, you better pay only half a buck.
2: Why, only half a dollar, Petey?
3: Because it's cheaper by the dozen, right, Petey? Yeah, yeah, you'll get the idea, pal. You may be going 12 miles out, but I don't think you're ever coming back. Well, Pete, this ride hasn't been very comfortable so far. That gun sticking in my back irritates me. Yeah, it's too bad, isn't it? Uh, sympathetic soul, aren't you? Oh, well, the ride's nearly over. There's Duke Raymond up ahead.
2: That's funny. I don't see anything but an old freighter out
3: there. That's it, lady, the Black Deuce. The Black Deuce? Quaint name, isn't it? It's a quaint ship. Gambling is the special thing.
2: And I always thought that was against the law.
3: That's when you're 12 miles out and you're Duke Raymond, it isn't. You see... Simon, isn't
2: that a cabin cruiser coming up behind us? Yeah, it's
3: coming up fast, too, and no lights on. I don't like that. I don't like it at all.
2: Oh, don't worry, Pete. It's just pulling ahead of us.
3: Yeah, I guess...
5: You... Hey!
2: Hey, what do you think you're doing?
4: Simon, the boat's turned tortoise. It's gonna run into it. <laughs> Look out! You're gonna ram us. You're gonna... <laughs>
3: How are you doing, Ann? Oh, all right
2: so far. But not much Just a
3: couple of more strokes will do it. There we go. Just two more now. There. Oh, I thought we... We'd never get here. Must have been
4: telepathy.
3: Oh. Wait a minute. I'll climb on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, now that does it. Okay, now give me your hand. Okay, sir. Easy does it. Uh, uh, what
4: well,
2: uh, quite an experience, I'd say. Uh, Where are
3: we? We're in a speedboat more to the Black Dews. Which reminds me it's time to go to work.
2: Oh, yeah you're not actually going aboard that ship, are you? That
3: was my original intention, wasn't it? Besides, Pete and his boyfriend will drown if I don't get help out to him. Oh, and
2: you've got to
3: earn that $10,000. As I know. Yeah, right as usual, Angel. Now, listen closely. Do you know how to run a speedboat?
2: Yes, yes, I
3: do. Why? Well, I've got a funny idea you're going to have to run one in a very few minutes. I do. Who are you? I'm Simon Templer, the man Pete was supposed to bring in, part in the wet clothes, this damp sea air, you know. Where's Pete? The last time I saw him, he was hanging onto a wrecked speedboat a couple of hundred yards away. Hanging onto him? Sure. Come on. Get down to cases, Templer. What's the racket? Uh, Duke, I've a funny hunch you're going to lay off Streeter's business. Am I? What makes you think so? It's a possible murder rap. Keep talking, Sempler. Tony Cartega was bumped off. Why? You're so smart, you wouldn't know. Maybe I do. I guess it was because he knew too much about bonds. Bonds? Yeah, you know, securities, negotiable ones with a lot of dough. Where'd you get that idea? From Tony. He talked before he died. He mentioned you and bonds. Tony always talked too much. You talk too much, too. Mm, yeah, I'm beginning to get what you mean. I thought you would. You know, Duke, there you are, sitting behind that desk with a gun in your hand. I wonder. You wonder what? I wonder how you'd look with that desk on top of you. Too bad, Duke. You missed me. Sorry, I can't do the same now. Imagine that. Duke Raymond sleeping during business hours. You'll never get ahead that way, old boy. Horatio Alger would positively frown upon you. Nice going, Anne. Thank you kindly for picking me up out of the water. If
2: I'd known what was going to happen, I wouldn't have. When I saw you dive off that rail and all those people started shooting at Oh, us.
3: just a necessary unpleasantness, my sweet. I had to get some information from Duke about Bond.
2: Bond? You're going to play the market?
3: Right now I'm playing the field. There's a murderer in it. And I'm going to start at Mr. Streeter's warehouse. <laughs> Yeah.
2: That way. Hmm. The warehouse is over to the left
3: side. Sure, but we're going next door.
2: And just what do you expect to find there, Sherlock?
3: A uh, printing press, of course. There, you see? The Travers Printing Company. Well, I
2: see it, but I can't understand it. How did you know this place was here? And why look for a printer?
3: Tony Cartega told me to look for one just before he died. And that's for this place. Do you remember the thumping noise we heard as we were leaving the warehouse? Why,
2: of course. It was made by a printing press. Sure, that's
3: what I thought. Well, shall we go in? At this
2: hour? But it's so dark, nobody will be in there.
3: Two facts would impress me no end. Well, let me see. I should have some keys in my pocket. Why bother?
2: That door is already partially open.
3: Mm, you're right.
4: Oh.
3: It's black as pitch in here. Yeah, can't risk a light until we're sure it's empty. There's a crack of light over
2: there to come from a doorway into another room. I wonder if... Oh,
3: What's the matter? I,
4: I hit
2: my foot against something. Something
3: soft. You don't say. Suppose you look up at the ceiling while I shine this pencil flash down.
2: <gasps> oh,
3: Simon. Perfectly expressed.
2: He's dead, isn't he?
3: Yeah, if he's not, he ought to be. He's been tied up, gagged, strangled, and shot in the leg. Who is he? I think he's the gentleman who tried to kill Mr. Streeter. Well, how do you... Because Jack shot him in the leg, remember? He's probably Mr. Travers the Printer.
2: What is it, Simon? Why'd you turn off the light?
3: Because that light in the other room just went out, and I hate to be a nonconformist. Where are you going? I'm going to step over there and see what's up. Oh, be careful. Simon! Simon, are you all right? Sure, but I'll risk it. from going after him. Oh, look
4: out, Charlie. He's a killer. He... What is it?
3: Oh, what's wrong? Whoever it was locked and bolted this door, I'll have to kick it down.
2: Watch Someone may still be in there.
3: You have the most pessimistic thoughts. I'll wait till I find the light switch. Well, nobody's
2: here. He must have gone out that window.
3: Yeah, and if I hadn't been idiot enough to bump into something in the dark, this case might have been over by now.
2: Either that or you'd have been dead. I. Is that
3: funny as you seem so? That? Oh, it's the frame under that lead pot over there. What's cookies? Oh, printers use them to melt their old linotype slugs in. Yes, but
2: why would that be going now? Do you think the killer yeah, left.
3: There was a reason I wanted you along tonight. You've just hit it. <laughs> There's the types. Yes. And see those engraved copper and zinc plates on that work table? Mm-hmm. If we'd come in a few minutes later, they'd have been in that lead pot.
4: And what are they?
3: Oh, I'm not so good at reading upside down and backwards, but... Six uh, percent. ventures State of secured highway taxes. Oh, so that's it. What?
2: Would you mind explaining something?
3: Later, darling. First, I've got a little surprise party to prepare.
2: Surprise party?
3: Yeah, as soon as I remove the handkerchief gag from Mr. Travers, send a message to Duke Raymond, and make a few phone calls, we'll go to the scene of the party.
2: How nice. Now, what's going to happen there?
3: What usually happens at a surprise party? Oh, don't tell me. I know.
2: One very foxy murderer is going to get a great big Surprise! <laughs> So the surprise party is going to be at Tony Cartago's place.
3: Right isn't? you are, Ann. There it is now.
2: What's going to happen, Simon? All I know is that you called a lot of people in a disguised voice and told them something about Bonds and Tony. Why?
3: Well, if you'll look inside the cigar store, what do you see?
2: Well, there's a light inside.
3: Correct. That must mean one of the guests has arrived. Look quiet as we go in. I want to see if that's an early bird or a worm.
2: Hmm. Seems to be awfully busy looking
3: for something Let's well, help the poor soul find it Hello, Betty oh. What's the matter, Betty? Looking for some bonds? Bonds? Uh, the ones you were called about this morning
2: well, I don't know what you're talking
3: about Got that, Betty, that'll never do However, I wasn't the one who called you this morning
2: How did you know about that? Hey, wait you the
1: party?
2: Jack!
3: Hello, there. All right, Templer, what's this all about? Hello, gentlemen. Nice of you to come, Mr. Streeter. Jack, I was just talking to Betty about that phone call of this morning. What did your caller say, Betty? Something about your father's life being endangered over some bonds and that you'd better get down here fast to save him? My life in danger? What kind of nonsense is that? It wasn't nonsense to Betty. She came down here all right. We walked in right after Betty left and found Tony Cartego dead. Now, just a minute. You're making a pretty dangerous accusation there, Temple. Happens to be true. Mr. Streeter, Duke Raymond forced you to sell him that warehouse next to the Travers Printing Company, didn't he? Yes. And it took a lot of force. He ruined the business by destroying merchandise, wrecking trucks, the usual racketeering methods. I had to sell to stop losing money. Maybe you better not talk so much, Streeter. Yeah. Maybe it won't be healthy. For well, well, well. More guests, Duke Raymond and Pete. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Sapper. What gives here? Well, now, that's a rather silly question, Duke. You came here looking for bonds, didn't you? So your message was a frame, huh, chum? Only in a manner of speaking, chum. Someone in this room owed you money from gambling, didn't they, Duke? And promised to pay in negotiable securities to be left until called for here at Tony Cartegos. It's your story, Zabelik hates talking. But when Pete came to pick up the bonds for you, they were missing, and Tony was dead. It's lucky for you too. If you tried to sell those bonds, you'd have been arrested. They were forgeries. Forgeries? You sure about that? I know it, and I can prove it.
2: Surprise! Surprise! Surprise!
3: What do you think of your gambling friend now, Duke? That dirty double crosser, with all that dough in the family too. Oh, lout! Down, is gonna no, get. No, you don't, Duke. Do Stop right there! Tom,
2: but he's got a gun. <laughs> Jack! Oh no,
3: Jack! Not you! Pretty sharp, aren't you, Templer? Got it all figured out. Oh, I've been known to get around, Landers. Anyway, it was rather obvious, particularly after you kissed Anne.
2: After he kissed me. What did that have to do with
3: it? Well, you see, Anne. I got something to say first. (laughs) Pete,
4: you. you. Oh, he's
3: dead. Yes, good old Pete. He never misses. (laughs) There, there, my dear. Thanks for keeping him busy while I went for my gun, Tim. Oh, think nothing of it, Pete. And to show my appreciation, here. What? What's a big idea, Ah, Duke, go? let's not be hasty, shall we? I've got a gun, too. The one I borrowed from you aboard your ship. Get on the phone, Ann. Call the police. You
2: bet, Simon. Right away. It's
3: for you, Mr. Streeter, get out your checkbook. The amount is $10,000 payable to your favorite charity. Your friend Duke Raymond won't bother you again for a long, long time. <laughs> Would you like another drink, Ann?
2: No, thank you, Simon I suppose I should thank you for a lovely day mm, It had
3: its points, but the football game might have been more exciting
2: I doubt it, but I still need some answers
3: but Don't you see, And Jack was terrified when he couldn't pay Duke for a huge gambling debt he owed him so he hit on the idea of forging bonds. He had Travers print them.
2: But I still don't understand why he killed Travers. Well, he had
3: to make sure that Travers wouldn't talk. So when Jack went to the print shop to destroy the evidence of the forged plates, he destroyed Travers, too. Yes, but why was Tony killed? Tony held the bonds for Duke. But when he discovered they were forged, he called the Streeter home. Yes. Then he got the message and hurried down to see what it was all about. She thought Tony was talking about her father.
2: And Jack was there, overheard the conversation, and beat her to Tony. Right. And he tried to kill us with a cruiser to stop us from getting Duke's store. Mm-hmm.
3: He's a busy little man.
2: Okay, mastermind. I guess I've got it. Except for that crack about the kiss. How come you knew Jack Landers was guilty because he kissed me? Lipstick, hand.
3: What? Lipstick? Yeah. You see, after you kissed him, he had lipstick all over his face. When I called it to his attention, he wiped it off with his handkerchief. And the handkerchief that gagged Travers had lipstick on it, too.
2: Oh. And to think that just
3: because he kissed me, he, he's dead. Mm, I wouldn't feel that way about it if I were you. Your kisses wouldn't kill anyone, and I can prove it. Can you, Simon? Sure. What?
2: Mm-hmm. There. I guess you're right.
3: Oh, please don't agree so quickly, Anne.
4: Why not?
3: I'm seriously considering making a lifetime work out of proving it.
0: You've been listening to another transcribed adventure of the saint, the Robin Hood of modern crime. Now here's our star, Vincent Price. Ladies and
3: gentlemen... In tonight's cast, you heard Shirley
0: Mitchell, Barbara Eiler, Jack Moyles,
3: Tom Brown, Edmund McDonald, and Anthony Barrett. This is Vincent Price inviting you to join us again next week at this same time for another exciting adventure of The Saint. Good night.
1: Stay tuned for Sherlock Holmes next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zuma Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for that famous duo, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, who find they have to sail to a distant land in order to solve a crime.
6: This episode from the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Petri Wine brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invites you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective Sherlock Holmes. And now let's keep our appointment with the good Dr. Watson. Good, good. good evening, Doctor. Good evening, Mr.
5: Bartell. Uh, come over here and join me with a fire.
6: I didn't think it was cold enough for a fire tonight, Doctor. Oh, I
5: suppose it isn't, really. But there was one late, so I just couldn't resist putting a
6: match to it. <laughs> Fire's a good accompaniment of storytelling, anyway.
5: Uh, yes, my boy. A fire and a glass of port. Uh, care to join me in one? Thanks, Doctor.
6: So, uh, you're going to tell us a sea story tonight.
5: Yes, Mr. Bartell. The whole adventure took place aboard a small steamer as it plowed through the stormy seas of the Indian Ocean.
6: Uh, here's your glass, my boy. Thanks. And uh, what were you and the great Sherlock Holmes doing on the Indian Ocean, may we I ask? We on
5: our way to Calcutta to solve the case of the vanishing elephant of Pur. Oh, yes. The story you told us a few weeks ago. That's quite right, my boy. It's in the summer of 1894 that we left Liverpool aboard the steamship Lucifer wasn't a large ship, and as both the Mediterranean and the Red Sea proved somewhat, shall we say, unfriendly, I may tell you the first part of the voyage was quite unpleasant. In fact, until we left Aden, I'd spent most of the time in my cabin. I'm not much of a sailor, you know. However, as we headed eastward towards Colombo, the weather cleared up a bit, and I came on deck and joined home. I remember on the second night out of Aden, we paced the decks together. The stars above us twinkled, the promise of a bright tomorrow. And the faint tinkle of a piano being played in the passenger lounge formed a perfect setting for an evening stroll.
7: It only seems like
5: yesterday. Holmes said...
7: Watson, it's good to see you on your feet again. Yes, it's good to be on them, Holmes. It's been a miserable trip for me so far. The captain told me tonight that we can expect good weather between here and Calabati on our next port of call. I thought Colombo was the next stop. Where is
5: Kavavati, whatever you call it? Anyway, I never heard of the place.
7: A tiny island in the Indian Ocean. It's a British protectorate. Those are the only facts I was able to glean from the encyclopedia and the ship's library. Did you ask the Captain why we're stopping there? No, no, I didn't. Um, As we are traveling incognito, I thought it wiser not to ask too many questions. I
5: find this incognito business something of a strain.
7: Every time a steward calls me Mr. Hamish, I can't think who on earth he's (laughs) told us. Whereas I find myself answering to Mr. Mycroft almost automatically. By the way, old chap, now that you're going to mix with the ship's passengers, I suggest that you adopt a Scotch accent. It would seem more appropriate for a Mr. Hamish, and I don't want anyone aboard to suspect our true identity. I'll do my best, but I must say, Holmes, I think you're being unnecessarily mysterious. (laughs) Possibly I've been influenced by reading too many of your rather florid stories of our adventures together. My stories are not florid. They're all perfectly true. Oh, don't be angry with me, old chap. Don't be angry, please. By the way, uh, we'll... You'll be interested to know that I've... uh, ...unearthed a little mystery aboard this oh, boat. I asked you to do that. Where is she? I mean, what, what is it? Oh, you observe that suite of cabins on the bridge deck above us? Yeah? What about them? Well, I've been watching them during my nightly strolls for the past two weeks. The suite is occupied, and uh, yet the blinds are never raised. And I've never seen meals taken in there. I presume, therefore, that it must contain a private galley and a cook. I don't say anything mysterious about that. It's probably
5: occupied by some wealthy invalid. Well, oh, possibly,
7: possibly. Another interesting fact is that the occupants are not uh, entered on the ship's passenger list. It all sounds
5: very mysterious. There's probably a perfectly simple explanation for it. In any case, you must save your energies for the problem that awaits us in India. You're Mr. Mycroft.
7: now. Remember that. I will, Mr. Hamish. Uh, Mr. Mycroft? Uh, yes, Mr. Hamish. Would you care to join me for a wee drop of brandy in the <laughs> smoking room, Mr. Hamish? I shall be delighted. <laughs>
5: Ah, this is excellent, Brandy.
7: Excellent. Watson, Watson, you notice that rather garrulous gentleman over there in the corner?
5: You mean the one at the table with the oriental-looking fellow?
7: Yes, the talkative man is the ship's doctor, but I haven't seen the other gentleman before on this voyage. I wonder if he's an occupant of the mysterious suite on the bridge deck. Let's go over and talk to him, shall we? And remember the accent, Mr. Hamish.
5: (laughs) And so, Verder. When well,
8: we landed at Colombo, I decided to take Mrs. Abbott for a moonlight rickshaw drive from the Cinnamon
7: Gardens. Uh, uh, did you gentlemen want to see me? Uh, if you'll excuse us, Dr. Harris, my friend Mr. Hamish and I were having a little argument, and we thought that perhaps you might be able to settle it for An us. An
8: argument? Oh, I love a good argument. Uh, sit down, gentlemen. This, uh, this is Mr. Verder.
7: How do you do, gentlemen? Good,
5: good evening, sir. My name is Hamish, and this is my friend Mr. Mr. Mycroft. I'm so
7: happy to meet you, gentlemen. Now, how do you know, Mr. Verder?
8: Ah, now, gentlemen, uh, tell me what
7: you're arguing about. Oh, well, not uh, a good uh, argument. Uh, you see, it, it wasn't exactly an argument. My friend Mr. Hamish insists that the Suez Canal was built by a Dutchman in 1870. I'm convinced that it was built by de Lesseps, a Frenchman, in 1869. We, uh, we thought you'd know. <laughs> you flatter me. I'm only a ship's
8: doctor, not an historian. Ask uh, swear really, he probably knows. Uh, can you settle the question for
9: us, sir? I can, now, Mr. Mycroft. Uh, you're almost correct. The canal was opened in 1869. Though its construction began ten years previously. De Recep's, a French engineer, was in charge of the operation. There is a statue of him in Portside Harbor, built to commemorate his skill in enterprise. Much oh, obliged to you, Mr. Vera. Uh, Hamish, I think that I win my bet. my I'm afraid you do if you're sure of your facts, Mr. Vera. <laughs> uh, I'm sufficiently sure of them, Mr. Hamish. ...to venture a small wager myself. No, no, no. I think I'll not
5: make any more bets on the subject, thank you. Uh,
9: Well, gentlemen, if you will excuse me, I shall return to my cabin now. Oh, don't go. No, Uh, no, no, don't go, sir. you will make us feel as if we would driven you away. Oh, not at all, Mr. Hamish. I enjoyed meeting you both, but I have some letters to write. Good evening, gentlemen.
7: Uh, He's a charming person. Charming and extremely knowledgeable. Mm, A bit of a bore,
5: if you ask me. Uh, you two fellows enjoyed the trip? I'm just beginning to. It takes a little time to get my sea legs, you know.
7: Uh, Dr. Harris, how long have you been on this ship?
8: Four years. Uh, this
7: is my 23rd trip east on the Lucifer. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, uh, there's something that puzzles me on board this ship. I'm assured that you would explain it to me. And what is it? Well, the uh, suite of cabins on the bridge deck. Who occupies them? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? I don't
8: know we would, and that's why my friend asked you. Well, I'll tell you. Though it's supposed to be a secret. But there'll be no harm in telling you now, for we're dropping anchor off the island of Cavaratti in the morning. In that suite of rooms, in that suite of rooms, is the Rani of Kavarati herself. She has her own staff of servants and everything. What do you think of that? Oh,
7: oh, very interesting. And is the Oriental gentleman who uh, left the table when we arrived part of our entourage? He is, sir. He's the
8: sort of uh, Prime Minister of Cavaratti. This whole trip of theirs is very hush-hush. Rani returning to her country, afraid someone might make an attack on her life. Have to keep it all hush-hush. is an island that's had a lot of trouble. <laughs> you seem to be remarkably well-informed about the place, sir. Huh? Yeah, I should be. I used to practice there in my younger days. Oh, really? Oh, very interesting. Yes, I could tell you strange tales about the island. I remember... Wh- oh, hello. See that fellow coming into the lounge? You
5: mean the big one with the, the gray hair? Yes.
8: That's Christopher Wyatt. Owns all the tea plantations on Cavarati. He's a dull fellow, but I'll call him over. Uh, Wyatt? Come over and join us. Be careful! You'll your head off if you give him half a chance. Ah, draw up a chair, Wyatt. We were just just talking about cabaret. It seems to me that would be a good subject to keep away from, at least till after tomorrow, Harris. What do you mean? You know perfectly well what I mean. I should have thought that after your own experience on cabaret, you'd have learned a little discretion. You're talking like a schoolmaster, Wyatt.
7: Why don't you sit down and have a drink and be friendly? Thank you. I prefer my own company. Pompous ass. You and Christopher don't seem on the best of terms, Doctor.
8: I know too much about him. He's afraid of me. That's what he is. Uh, look at this girl coming
7: into the room. Great scotch. She's good looking. Judging by our oriental costume, she must be a member of the Rani's retinue. Yes, she's coming to our table. Yes, my dear. What is it?
8: Which of you gentlemen is Mr. Mycroft, please?
7: I am.
10: My mistress sends her compliments and asks that you will call on her
7: in her suite. And who is your mistress, may I ask?
10: Her Highness, the Rani of Cavarotti. Oh.
7: I shall be delighted. Please tell the Rani that I shall pay my respects without delay. We will join her in a few minutes.
4: Very well, Mr. Michael.
5: You know, Holmes, this is pretty exciting. The girl just brought us a message. It was a stunning creature.
7: Imagine what the Rani herself must be oh, like! Oh, what an incurable romanticist you are, Watson! I suppose you picture the Rani clad in Oriental splendour, reclining like an Odalisque on silken cushions. No,
5: no, no! There's no need to make fun of me, old Huh, <laughs> oh,
7: Here we are, Captain.
5: Ah! Oh, it is you,
10: gentlemen. Follow me, please. Your Highness, the Ronnie of Cavaratti.
5: All right, Virginia,
10: you can offer it. Yes, Your Highness. Well, oh. my lads, don't look so startled. Come in and sit down. Your
5: Highness, I... Uh,
10: What's the matter? What's the matter? Don't I fit into your picture of a Ronnie? What did you expect? A slant-eyed beauty with a veil and big ips? Well, I've got the big ips, all right. Uh, your Highness, <laughs> um, I... Oh, never a... mind, Your Highness. Sit yourselves down and talk free and easy like. I may as well begin by telling you that I know who you both are. Mr. Sherlock Holmes. And Doctor Watson, now oh, oh, I've seen you in the good old days in London, you know.
7: Uh, may I ask if our visit is purely a social one, or are you in need of that professional advice? Oh, a little of both, Mr. Holmes, a little of both.
10: And we'll start off with being social.
6: Rumor. Memsahib, champagne. Mem Memsahib. If
5: you'll pardon my asking, you, madam, but uh, uh, I'm going to see you before someone.
6: <laughs>
10: oh, that's a question I'm always having to answer. Yes, you probably have, Doctor Watson. You see, I was in the chorus at Daly's Theatre in London for quite a few years (laughs) until the Roger of Cavarotti decided I'd look better on his island than I did in front of the footlights. Your
7: husband, the Roger, is dead, isn't he?
10: Yes, he he was killed playing polo.
7: Champagne,
10: ma'am, (laughs) sir. Champagne for the sector. Archer. He doesn't speak English, so I will get along with telling you my troubles. Mr. Holmes, somebody's trying to kill me. Kill you?
7: It's good. And may I ask what reason you have for saying that, madam?
10: You may, Mr. Holmes. <coughs> Before I left England, I had threatening letters warning me that if I ever went back to Cavarotti, I'd never get to the island alive. I got another letter in Portside that said the same thing.
7: You kept these letters, I trust?
10: No, I didn't. I tore them up. I never did pay attention to letters that weren't signed. Oh, that's
7: a good pity, madam. Those letters might have been invaluable.
10: Well, it's too late to think about that now, Dr. Watson. Here's what's on my mind. I landed Cavarotti in the morning. And if anyone's up to a bit of no good... Tonight's their last chance.
7: You destroyed the threatening letters, madam, thereby indicating that you did not believe in the threats, and yet you now appear to feel that you are in danger. I wonder what made you change your mind.
10: The Ace of Spades.
5: Yes? I don't understand you, madam.
10: In the last two days, every time I tell my fortune, I get the Ace of Spades. (laughs) Now, you know what that means? (laughs) Yes.
7: Oh, come now, madam. If you'll pardon my saying so, that's a very childish superstition. the
10: cards have never lied to me yet. Oh, you can laugh at it if you like, but I know.
7: <laughs> well, you mind if I ask you a few questions? Anything
10: you like, Mr. Holmes. Fire away.
7: How long is it since you were in Caparatti?
10: Mm, about 18 months. We were in England when my husband died, and I couldn't face the idea of going back to that island alone. In three months ago, verda Oh, he's the chief minister of Caparatti.
7: Yes, 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 madam. We met him for a moment in the lounge. Oh, oh well.
10: Verder came over to England to persuade me it was my duty as the Rami to go back.
7: I see As far as you know, have you any enemies among the passengers on board the ship? Oh,
10: that's an odd one to answer, Mr. Holmes. But I can tell you right here in my suite there's someone who doesn't like me. A girl, Raduna, the one that brought you my message. She was in love with a Roger herself. I know she hates me, even though she did stay with me in England after my husband
7: died. Mm, How about further, your minister?
10: (laughs) Oh, he's all right. My husband thought
7: the world of him, and he's been wonderful to me. He came from Cavalati recently, you say, to persuade you to return there.
10: That's right, Mr. Holmes. Well... Bruma seems to be all right after drinking that champagne, so it'll be safe for us to have some now. Champagne on l'octe d'eau? Both that, Jim, I'm sorry.
5: I've been burning with curiosity to know why you gave him a glass of champagne a few minutes ago, and yet we (laughs) didn't have any.
7: Well, surely that's obvious, Watson. Mm -hmm. Our firmer is the official poison taster, Mm -hmm. isn't he,
10: madam? That's right, Mr. Holmes. He tastes everything I eat or drink before I do. And if it doesn't affect him, then I know it's safe. We brought him over to England when he came to fetch me. On the island of Kavarati, poisoning's quite another, you know.
7: There were uh, two people in the smoking room tonight who seemed to know quite a lot about your island. The ship's doctor, a rather garrulous gentleman by the name of Harris, and Sir Christopher Wyatt, who owns tea plantations on the island. Do you know either of them, madam? I should say I do, both of them. Dr. Harris isn't any good. He was on the island for a bit, but he
10: got into some kind of trouble, and my husband had him thrown out.
7: Mm, and how about... Sir Christopher Wyatt.
10: Oh, Chris is all right. I saw quite a bit of him in London after my husband's death. (laughs) As a matter of fact, well, if I weren't going back to Cavaratti, I I don't think he'd be on the boat at all. He hasn't been there for over five years, ever since he had aroused my husband over the wages he paid the native labour.
7: It seems to me that several people aboard this boat have a personal interest in the island of Cavaratti. Interest that might uh, be influenced by your death.
5: Yes, that's what I was going to say, madam. I think we should uh, keep an eye on you. Oh, that's
10: just what I was hoping you'd say, Doctor. You see, I'm giving a bit of a supper party tonight. All the people we've been talking about have been invited. And I thought, well, I thought if you two were to be here, perhaps you'd be on the lookout for any, any funny business. How about it? Well, of
7: course we'll come. Won't we, Holmes? I think it might be a good idea. Though I would suggest that we retain our incognitoes, as Mr. Hemish and... Uh, Mr. Mycroft. Well, whatever you say, Mr. Holmes. And now,
10: let's have that champagne.
5: You know, Holmes... I remember the rally when she was in the chorus at Daly's. She looked stunning in
7: tights. There was one night I... Oh, yes, no, I'm we Don't were... mind. At what? the moment, there's a question I, I want to ask you. Support, huh? Is your medical bag fully equipped with all the antidotes to poison? Poison?
5: It's ridiculous. How could the rally be poisoned when she yes. has a poison taster? My dear Watson, you mustn't...
7: Hey, ta- help! 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 the blazes, Come on, Watson. That's why I came from the companionway. There are two figures struggling by the rail there. Good heavens! One of them pushed the other down the companionway.
5: Ah! Good Lord! His skull smashed in. I'm afraid How that he. Day. What's happened? Sir Christopher Wyatt. What are you doing here? I was
8: taking a stroll. I heard a yell
5: from this
7: direction and came there as fast as I could. Great Scott! The fellow's bleeding badly. We must get the ship's doctor at That's hardly necessary, I fear, Sir Christopher. What do you mean? In the first place, this man is dead. In the second place. He is the ship's doctor.
6: We'll hear the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a second, so I'm just going to ask you to do one thing for me. Well, I should say for yourself. Tomorrow night, if you're having meat or any meat dish for dinner, why not open up a bottle of Petri California Burgundy? That wonderful, rich, red Petri Burgundy will turn your dinner into a real feast. you see if it doesn't. Because there's nothing like a good wine with good food. And I know your family gets good food, and I know that Petri Burgundy is a good wine. In fact, it's a perfect mealtime wine. Try it and see. And now, Dr. Watson, tell us what happened next. You said you found the ship's doctor dead at the foot of the companionway? Yes, Mr.
5: Bartell. His neck had been broken instantly.
6: Imagine there was a good deal of excitement aboard. No, my
5: boy, as a matter of fact, there wasn't. We managed to get the body back to its cabin without attracting attention. Holmes, after revealing his true identity, was able to persuade the captain to hush up the killing until after the Rani's party had taken place.
6: Well, he didn't want to scare the murderer, I guess.
5: W- what happened next, Doctor? Holmes and I returned to our cabin to dress for the party. Holmes, I remember, was in a state of suppressed excitement. He spoke quietly and deliberately.
7: Watson, surely it's obvious why the doctor was murdered? Well,
5: it isn't obvious to
7: me. It's elementary, my dear fellow. You're planning a subtle murder by poison. How wise to remove the one man who might save the victim's life, a doctor. Oh, you keep harping on
5: poisoning. It seems to me that it would be the last way a murderer would try to dispose of the Rani. Everything she touches is first
7: tested by the poison tester. Exactly. That's why I call it a subtle murder attempt. Didn't you notice the physical attributes of Pruma, the poison tester?
5: Uh, which in particular,
7: huh? Rani's unusually glossy hair, his remarkably clear complexion, his plump figure. Look here. Just tell me one thing, will you? What's that? I presume that in your medical bag you have a supply of magnesia. Natural. Do you also have hydrated ferric oxide? Yes, I do. Splendid. And to be off to the party. Hmm. Funny things to take to a party, I must That's say. True, my dear fellow, but I'm afraid that this party may not prove as convivial as Rani thinks. <laughs> It's nearly one in the morning. Everything seems to be going
5: splendidly.
7: It seems to be, Watson, but keep your eyes on the Rani. Yes,
1: I
5: have been. The poison tasters tested everything that passed her lips. Uh, we don't endorse to you, Sir Christopher. Uh, you having a good time?
8: Yes, indeed, thank you, Mr. Hamish.
7: How about you, Mr. Mycroft? Oh, the Rani is a perfect hostess. Who could help having a good time? I don't think that girl with should be here, though. I don't want to be pompous, but after all, she's only a glorified servant. Ah, oh, possibly the laws of etiquette are not so stricken, in as uh, <coughs> they are in London, Christopher. Oh, perhaps you're right. But I don't trust the girl. <coughs> There's something shifty about her.
8: I've told the Rane more than once. Oh, well, I suppose it's none of my business. I think I'll try and persuade the Rane to sing one of her old songs.
5: Yeah. He doesn't trust her, do you know? And I don't trust him. I don't think it was an accident that we found him near the body of Dr. Harris. Shh.
9: Here comes Vera. I trust you gentlemen are enjoying yourself. Very much, Mr. Vera. thank you. I imagine you must be excited at the prospect of returning to Calabati. I am, Mr. Mycroft. Though I only left it three months ago, it has seemed more like three years. If you can, what time will arrive there? I am told that we shall be there in five hours, Mr. Henry. Oh, look,
5: look, the look. is at the piano, She Must be going to give us a tune. <laughs> yes, yeah. let's
7: move a little closer, shall we?
10: Chrissy has asked me to sing something. Well, my voice isn't what it used to be, and don't all know it. But me spirit's the same, and that's enough to put a number over. So, all right, boys, here we go. My sweet the man in the moon. I'm going to marry him soon. Two would fill me with bliss just to give him one kiss. But I know that a dozen I never would miss. I'll go up in a great big... Oh... <laughs>
7: Great Scotch, she. Quick, Watson. Your medical bag. I'll lock the door. Right, your Holmes.
2: Bring some water, please. Help me. Oh, please. Help me. What is the
10: matter? Don't be frightened, madam. I'll take care of you. Uh, Give me water. Oh, such pain. All the symptoms of
5: arsenic poisoning. Now I know why Holmes asked me for helium and magnesia and ferric oxide.
10: Do something for me, Doctor. I'm dying.
5: Don't worry, Your Highness. You're not going to die. She's going to live, Holmes. Ah, gracious me, I'm tired.
7: It's touch and go there for a while, though. Well done, Watson, old chap. Well done.
5: Now that she's out of danger,
7: why can't we all go back to our cabins? It's nearly dawn and we've been locked in here since one o'clock. There's no right to do this, you know. Possibly not, Sir Christopher, but there's a murderer in this cabin and I don't intend to let him escape.
10: Mr. Holmes, what happened? How could I have been poisoned when Fruma tasted everything first? Why wasn't he poisoned?
7: For a very simple reason, Your Highness. The murderer has been conditioning Fruma for over a year. What do you mean? He's been feeding him gradually increasing doses of arsenic until he has finally become immune to the poison. Great Scott, I never thought of that. Pruma's glossy hair, his complexion, and stout figure are all typical of a person who consumes arsenic regularly. But who could have done it? Only one person had the opportunity. Well, tell us who that person no, is. No, not you, Sir Christopher, not you. For you haven't been on the island for years, whereas Fruma returned from Caravati but three months ago... Laduna has also been in London with her mistress for the past 18 months, remember? The answer is obvious.
10: You did it, Verda. You brought the taster over when you came to fetch me. You prepared him for the year beforehand.
9: Of course I did. No white runner will ever rule over Cavaratti. And you murdered Dr. Harris. Equally true. Mr. Holmes, give me the key to the door, please. Oh, no. Oh. Do not come near me. Oh. Please throw it on the floor. Do not hesitate. You see this revolver? I should have no compunction in using it, I assure you. How do you expect to escape, Vera? The key, please. Thank you. You'll never get away with this, murder, you devil. But I shall. We are now in the harbor of Tavarati. I shall swim ashore and arrange your welcome, my dear Rane. Turn your backs, please. Turn them. Thank you. Goodbye. He's gone. Come on, Watson. Talk to him.
7: You, you have your revolver, Watson? Yes, but I didn't get a chance to draw it. He had me covered. Well, do it now, old fellow. Aim for a leg or an arm and don't hesitate to shoot.
5: There he is, up on the lifeboat. He's climbing up on the rail. Oh,
7: where is he? Where did he go? Up there on the rail above us, madam.
10: He's going to dive. Give me that revolver, Dr. Watson. Quick, that's it. Come down off there, Berger. Hold. Oh, let
8: Keep out of my fears.
7: There he goes. He's dived. Madam, ah! you shot to kill. Of
10: course I did, Mr. Holmes. Remember that we're now in Cavaratti waters, And that I, though I may not look like it at the moment, I am still the Ronnie of Cavaratti. <laughs>
6: Say, that, that was a swell story, Doctor. It had a lot of color and quite a bit of action.
5: <laughs> color and a bit of action? Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you liked it, my boy. Oh, I did.
6: Say, you know, that's not a bad idea. I mean, uh, having someone taste everything before you eat it.
5: Oh, it's a very old idea. Very old. Very common, too, years ago. You know,
6: the kind of job I'd like...
5: No, what's, uh, what's that?
6: I'd like to be the official taster for the Petri family. Boy, just think of all the Petri wine I'd get to taste. Petri to the right of me, Petri to the left of me. What a life. What wine? Yeah, I wouldn't mind having that job myself. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> the Petri family, you know, really knows how to make good wine. They've been making wine for generations. And because they've always owned and operated their own business ever since it was started way back in the 1800s, Well, the Petri family has sure piled up plenty of skill and experience. Yes, they've been handing down in the family from father to son, from father to son, the fine art of turning luscious grapes into delicious wine. That's why you can't go wrong with any Petri wine. It must be good, because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, uh, Doctor, what new story do you have lined up for us next Uh, week? Next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you an
5: adventure that Sherlock Holmes and I had many years ago. It concerns a series of bonfires, an underground cellar full of gunpowder, and a strange death on the rooftops of London.
6: Tonight's Sherlock Holmes Adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Adventure of the Mazarin Stone. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petrie family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studio. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.
1: Thank you very much for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Richard Diamond, followed by yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This
0: podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.